what's interesting about that deer, which I didn't share with you, Brian, um, is that is the largest to date, just the largest whitetail ever filmed, professionally filmed in outdoor television history. Rolling Bones Outdoors presents Hunt the World. Ever thought about going on that hunting adventure of a lifetime? Do you want to take your hunting skills to the next level? Maybe you needed some advice or a new challenge. This podcast will be for you. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Hunt the World with Rolling Bones Outdoors. Welcome to the Bone Cave. What a day. Um, actually, I was talking to my buddy in Iowa, Muscatine, <laughs> one of them, uh, Brian Wolf, and he said, dude, you have no idea. It's so hot here today. One of the river boys. Yeah. He said it was like 93 with 96% he, uh, um, humidity. He said it was, you could cut it with a knife, and I'm like, happy for you. He goes, is it hot there? I said, this was like 11 o'clock this morning, it's and 80. I was coming yeah. off of McGuigan and, uh, or Hillsview, yeah. and I looked at my uh, temperature and it thermostat, and it said 70 degrees at 11 o'clock this morning and he goes you suck and i said i do so anyway but anyway welcome to the bone cave um i'm brian mayman and we are happy to have you today um we you know what i i i feel blessed and privileged today we have um a guest with us but before i introduce him let me just go around the room as always across from me i have brad dana hashtag 393 did you forget my last name all of a sudden no, for I a didn't. second? No, kinda, I didn't. No, sounded like Joe Biden it Just about, right. No, it sounded like it. No, that was, right. that's, that's basically bullshit. I didn't. No. And I didn't no. sound like you Joe didn't Biden. Sound, you didn't sound this, you didn't sound well, this bad. America's a nation. Oh, stop. That's a single word. I was going to put him in a... It wasn't that bad. So, so listen, you're digressing us. I was going to... Oh, yeah, you know what I was actually right. going to bleep? You know what I was okay, actually going to do? I was going to add Dr. Brad Dana... But screw that. Um, we'll <laughs> yeah, call him right. Dipstick Brad Dana. <laughs> well, I don't Hashtag know. You were, you so were stumbling a you little there. You know what the there, best so compliment I, I could give you is that you passed a bull, a 400-inch bull in the hey, morning to only think he was too small. Greg, to have you ever that. done that where you pass one of those 240-inch white-tailed, kind of give him a chance to grow throughout the rest of the day and then shoot him in the evening? No. 100% It's no. a strategy. 100% no. <laughs> See, that's one of the greatest. Hey, <laughs> arguably, this is one of the top five whitetail killers in the country uh, the last five years. He said no. Okay? Well, so see, then, his 240 could have become a 242. <laughs> no, you never they know. don't grow two inches during the day. See, that's, you, you know, that's it, just, it, just, it just depends. Wow, that's, that's Jesus you got to try it. What does that even mean? All right, so anyway. <laughs> I got <laughs> I got bleep here, okay, as always. And then we have Greg Glessinger on today, and uh, we're excited to have you, Greg. Welcome welcome to the Bone Cave. Hey, we've been trying to do this for some time, so I'm glad we finally got this countered up, and I'm excited to be here as well. So Greg is uh, – good, I'm glad to hear that. Greg is an accomplished – I'm going to read this off to you guys, so I have an intro for him. So Greg, Greg tell us again where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up uh, just outside of Omaha in a suburb called Papillion, Nebraska, oh. which is just south of Omaha. No. And, uh, this, yes, yes remember we were talking about that? Door. Yes, I'm a so big red So Greg fan. Glessinger is a – Go Big Red. Yeah, she's oh, another man. one of And we never did Nebraska. settle. What, what is a Hawkeye? Uh, an ass whooping <laughs> for an Husker the last 10 years. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. I, I, I can't, but, you know, Brian – they don't have any history like the Huskers do. I know you're going to say live in the past, but you know what? The past builds the future, and the Hawkeyes don't have a national championship. Okay, so well, I, I, I suspect you want to change the topic now, which we'd be happy to do that. So, so in case anybody is wondering today, all of our amazing listeners. Can we do a mic drop here? Greg, Boom. Yeah, Greg is a businessman and negotiates contracts for a living um, with other doctors. So him and this uh, um, this. Uh, Dr. Brad Dana will probably be uh, UNMC. Friends. That's they're right. Already, they're already allies on this that's right. call. This is going nowhere. Wow. Well. I thought you went to Creighton. So, no, 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 no. Okay, no. my bad. No, I went to. Uh, so okay. I went to UNMC. Big difference. Ooh, wow. So 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 listen to this, guys. This is crazy. 2017, Greg Harvest Major League was the deer's name. Scored 203 and change. Killed him on film. Is that right? 
Yeah, all the ones that you're going to list are all with a bow and all on film. Okay, so with archery gear, so pretty cool. Where was that at? Iowa. Uh, Iowa. Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. No, not Nebraska. Let's just get this straight right away, so it'll be Iowa. All right. So listen to this. 2018, he kills, a.k.a. extra innings, scored 239 and change. You should have shot him in the evening, buddy. You didn't pass him in the morning to shoot him in the evening, did you? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, and, and what's interesting about that deer, which I didn't share with you, Brian, um, is that is the largest today, just the largest whitetail ever filmed, professionally filmed in outdoor television history. Holy wow. smokes. Professionally, so you- right? So there, there, are, there are bigger deer out there. I'm not going to deny that. There are bigger deer out there, but that we had to go through the professional camera yeah. with, you know, what we have to do to lay it down and all that type to make the outdoor channel or any sportsman's or any, there isn't to my knowledge. And that's what I've been told. So I could stand corrected. Uh, I'm not saying I know everything, but it's what I've been told. And it's the largest white tail ever filmed on outdoor television history. Today. But it makes it a lot easier. Doesn't it, Greg, when you have a cameraman and all the requirements, doesn't that just make it so much easier to shoot big stuff? No, it makes oh, it three times harder. That's, that's sarcasm. It, that's sarcasm. Another yeah, service. Four times harder. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, and that's what people don't know. That's the Do cool thing. I, so you see it. I don't see it. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. So first of all, I want to I want to make sure everybody listening understands something. Number one, this is all with archery tag a tackle like a gear, like um, Greg said. Number two, this is all produced for a standard level production. I guess what would that be? Bleep criteria that they have because we did we did our show on Sportsman's Channel. Yeah, that's what it would be. It would be a it would be a production level criteria that they have. So it's not like when Greg pulled the bow back, he's like, "Okay, I'm just going to shove an arrow through this deer and harvest it." First, before it even got there, he's like, "Okay, do, am I set up? Do I have the right thing? I gotta I gotta have him. I can't take an unethical shot. He's got to be perfectly broadside. It's not just murdering a deer and getting a picture of the arrow going in. There's a lot more to this, which is crazy. And Brad, you and I know that." And that's why as a professional cameraman for you on that elk at 35 yards at 400 inches and you passed him in the morning and I had it produced professionally the right way for a cameraman, it's very discouraging when somebody passes an animal like that. Well, he was only below us for about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So you got a lot of good footage, didn't you? Oh, it's, anyway. So listen to that. 2018 extra innings. 239 and change. So how'd you come up with extra innings? This is the baseball theme going here. Well, how, yeah, how come, why I'm not ba- fourth and one or something like that? Well, I'm a baseball guy. Uh, I was very heavy into sports uh, growing up in high school. We had a very successful run in high school. Very, I mean, we were won state, uh, state championships. Then when I went on and, and played a little bit of college and I got invited to try out for the Phillies and the Braves. So um, got – you know, baseball's in my blood. My son played baseball over the country and he just finished up too. So when we were uh, actually, to be honest with you, go back to major league, I was sitting back in, uh, that'd be July of 17. I was going through trail picks at the, at the kitchen table and Derek would have been, well, he's 19 now. So he would have been, what about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And he, he looked at that deer and he looked at me and said, dad, that's a major league deer. <laughs> and there you go. Boom. It's awesome. Major League was born. So that's how it that's how it started. And then we just kept the baseball theme going after that. He's the one who kicked it off. So So now I'm gonna it, go ahead. And then the extra innings was pretty obvious because he had extra stuff everywhere. Oh my gosh, uh, unbelievable. 39 scorable points. And so it was just, you know, insane. So, you know, the more you look at them from different I, angles, the more you you realize that. It, you didn't see what you thought you saw in trail picks. So that's how we came up with extra innings was just purely of that. Okay, so he's 239. So now I have a question before we go any further. Did you know in 2017 when you killed Major League, did you know that extra innings was there? Yeah, we did. We actually knew him. Um, I, well, to, to go back so, so this will make more sense, in 2017, obviously we harvest, harvested Major League, but I had chased Major League for three years. Um, and there's a huge, uh, not a huge, there's a, I don't know, 15 or 22 minute segment on YouTube 
under Drury Outdoors, it talks you through the four-year quest of that deer. And it takes you all the way back from square one. And um, I think it's right at a, a million views, I think 980,000 or something like that. Um, but uh, so we were so focused on him and I was so all in on him. I did, I did know of extra innings, but he was in the mid eighties, low eighties. And the reason why I know that is because we actually found his sheds um, the spring of 18, when we did a control burn in our warm season grass section of the farm and we found a match set. So we rough scored him in the low eighties. So, but I had no idea that he was going to jump, you know, plus or minus, you know, 40 to 35 inches, um, 45 inches, depending on what he ended up rough scoring. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, but age is another, you know, beautiful thing. Do you is age, age these structure. You, do you age them with uh, Yeah, we do. Uh, well, we age them through uh, sending them in, but we also age them by, by history. I mean, we run, uh, with all the farms we have, we're, we're running, you know, 145, 150 cameras. Um, so you, you have a history and you know these deer and you start exactly right. so yeah, you, do you do them. a two slice on slice on all of your deer then and we send them in them but how do you do it yeah we, yeah we send them in but when you get that information back they're going to give you a sometimes a two to a three year window they're not going to tell you exactly in my experience of all the stuff that i've received so us taking the, the inventory through trail trail pictures we have usually a better idea by their age by just tracking them and, and keeping a file on them how, how old was major league major league was seven seven and what about extra innings uh extra innings was six holy wow. so between five and six he grew 60 i'm inches. disappointed you know i'm, I'm disappointed you didn't let him grow i'm just um wow. yeah i don't know if we can be friends and long so term. so <laughs> iowa in iowa what's uh, oh what what do you see for mortality on these older bucks do they do they make it to eight sometimes nine well or, we or have seven is an old old deer isn't it yeah uh, well you start breaking five as an old deer right honestly i mean and and casey shot the oldest deer that we have on record uh, this past fall, um, he shot an eight point that went uh, 160 or 161, right at 160. It's a and, big deer. And 100%, no shadow of a doubt, he's nine years old. Nine years old. So that's and got to be about as old as they grow, I would think. I, I question that he might be 10. Wow. Wow. And that's all because of trail pictures. Okay. And that's so the oldest, oldest deer we had um, documented on the farm. So 2018, 239 inches of extra innings. 2019, yep. 194 inches. Missouri, this was Missouri, yep. now not Iowa, 194 yep. inches. So 220, a.k.a. Um, uh, triple play, he scores 233 inches. Wow which when I saw that one on film with his left side, the way he splays out like a caribou, I was seriously sitting there going, he looks like a cartoon character. And, you know, I always tell people, and I've heard it before said, that if you see a buck and he kind of looks out of proportion like a cartoon character, like somebody drew a cartoon and he had giant horns, that's when you know you go, wow, shoot that deer. This thing was just crazy. And then that's 2020. And then 2021 – um, 193-inch Alberta mule deer with a bow, spot and stalk. And I have to tell you, he has a – and I'm, I'm not picking on this deer at all, but he has a 175 to 180-inch frame with a short left beam. But my guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I would like you to right now, he carries 43 to 45 inches of mass. Yeah, you're spot on. <laughs> he is a – absolute hammer of a deer and he's got that 180 inch frame but the mass is ridiculous where, where was that deer shot and that's in alberta oh, with yeah. a bow so greg yeah that body on that deer wasn't tiny either was 17 18 19 20 and 21 all right congratulations well, I, my hat well, i appreciate it i appreciate it. i didn't even tell you all the ones i just gave you the highlights and we shot a 177 last year with a bow a 185 up a colorado mule deer a 144 missouri but i mean i didn't give you we use i usually tip over four to five animals a year with a bow um i just gave you the the top top ends of of each year because of time and all that stuff i mean 
So, so we 2018, we, we shot a 170 uh, mule deer in Wyoming, a 171 Kansas, and then a 239, all with bows. I mean, we, we really take this, as my wife says, borderline too serious, but it's what I love. <laughs> it's what I enjoy. And you love it, archery hunting. I, 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 I can't get it. it. It's, it's, I think a junkie of all junkies. It's, it's, you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to see my photo. That's how bad it is. Holy smokes. First of all, congratulations and way to get it done. I mean, absolutely oh, amazing. And, uh, um, and it's not coincidence and it's not luck. This is absolutely a, a, um, applied effort that's been developed and a skill set that works for you. So we would love to hear from you. Uh, a couple questions. Number one, um, your property management. Um, and then, you know, I, I just would love to have you here hear you talk about whitetail hunting being from iowa growing up um with a 22 a shotgun and a bow not needing a high-powered rifle ever in my life because you know iowa boys just uh are uh, whitetail deer hunters with our shotgun or our archery equipment and i i never had true story i never had a shotgun tag one day in my life in iowa all i ever did was bow um it's all i ever wanted to do when i got out of college i shot tournament archery i was a hundred percent bow hunter you know and uh um coyote hunting is what got me hooked on rifle hunting so so is this a lot of these are the same ranch or same farm in iowa i guess but but you've shot big deer in kansas alberta colorado so it's got to be more than just property management but i'm interested in the property management because is that your land in in iowa it is yeah it's it's a piece of property i've slowly required oh i'm gonna Reel back the time, I'm going to shoot at the hip and say some around 17, 18 years ago, I'm guessing that I've slowly built this place up. And early on, it wasn't, you know, I've bought in several farms and sold a few. And the one I have now, obviously, is a keeper. It's it's going to go with me until I'm in my cedar box, if you know what I'm saying. So so tell uh, us how you manage your property for big deer. Is it, yeah. is it obviously, you, you probably have a lot more deer, too. Yeah, it boils down to, you know, I, I think it's, Brian said it best, you know, three, four minutes ago is it's the dedication of 365 days a year. And um, if, if I'm not doing something related to the farm, I'm probably thinking about what we can do better. And um, every single time we go into the sets, um, and I would encourage anybody to do this, is educate yourself based on visualization and what the deer are doing and i use the the app called notes in my phone and casey who is uh our camera guy and also he helps on the on the farm as well um you know we're making notes every sit even though we may not harvest something that night we're taking information and why that's important is because we're going to take rack and stack that list at the end of the year and we only have so much time and so much, you know, uh, financial resources to adjust the farm. So we're going to rack and stack them based on our observations, um, our, our trail picks, et cetera, and then make the adjustments. Uh, you know, why are the deer coming from the northwest corner of the plot? Or they used to come from the northeast. What changed? Mother nature is constantly evolving. And crazy, if you're not evolving, if, yeah, it is crazy. And if you're not evolving with it, um, you're losing time. So your and journal is important. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So that's, but that's a, that's a different aspect of, okay, you, you're growing, you have the genetics for big deer, but you're managing your property to make big deer better. You're turning well, him into a Cornhusker football player, basically. Yeah, right. From, from, well, a, I, from a kid in high school, right. Right. Let's, let's well, stay, it, let's it, stay it, the course here. Let's stay. It's interesting you say that. The, the farm that, that we have three 200 inches off a, the same farm the guy I bought it from, uh, he could not shoot or grow anything bigger than low 70s. And he had it for six or seven years, I believe. And I went in there and I was like, man, there's so much potential here. I know the genetics are good. We don't know how good they are, but we got a lot of work ahead of us to do. And it took about three or four years to see that work start turning around. And then the more I did, the more results we saw, the more results we saw, the more we did, and it just kept, just kept compounding. Um, and so we took that farm that was, we'll call it high 60s, low 70 caliber deer. Now we're shooting, 
you know, Boone's every year and we've shot three 200s off it, the same farm. Wow. So it, it just shows you that even though you have good genetics, we don't know how good you really have until you make the adjustments through warm season grasses, um, you know, woody browse, uh, food plots that are going to provide protein year round, whether that's, you know, providing the food source, the, the winterization, getting them through the hardcore winters, whether that be beans or corn. And also having amped enough, you know, clover field, which for food plot wise, when you look at clover, clover is going to give you the highest protein content of any food plot you can do, which is depending on the brand, you're going to be looking around 18 to 22% protein. So, and it's the first thing to green up in the spring. So, so do you we, plant alfalfa or do you plant a specialty clover? Uh, that- we use, we, we use, um, uh, in the years past, we used a combination of uh, analogic clover um, and we used biologic clover and white tail institute. We had a combination of all three, um, depending on availability and so forth and, and soil types. But, um, you know, having, having deer is one thing. Keeping and holding deer is another, which is you will have transit deer come into your farm now and again and leave now and again. My whole goal is when I walk through my farms and I say, hey, if I'm a whitetail, what am I missing on my farms? And if I'm missing something, I'm gonna figure out how to, how to fix that gap or fix that hole. Because sometimes you have whitetails come in and they may call your home, your new, your, their, your home, uh, their new uh, uh, home place. And you want everything there. What I mean by water, cover, food, uh, sanctuaries, or you're not going in and pressure them and so forth. Did you have and plenty most- of water when you got it? Uh, we did. So we that did. was we no pl- big deal. You didn't that was to- not a big deal. We did not have the cover and we did not have the food sources and we did not have year round food. We had some, but we did not have year round. And I mean, you know, Woody Browse, timber stand improvements, a huge thing. Um, and not, not forcing them, not giving the whitetail a reason to leave. Hey, Greg, Greg, yeah. can you take a second and explain yeah. Woody Browse to us? Because there's going to be yeah. listeners and I know they're going to go, okay, I got a place in Missouri. I got a place in uh, yeah. um, Pennsylvania. What does he mean by Woody Browse specifically? Sure. And so, so maybe what we, explain your definition of that and what you're doing with sure. that. Sure. So Woody Browse, it basically is timber stand improvement, which is we'll, we'll go into to timber and we'll, we'll cut them, call it between knee and waist high, and not completely cut the tree, but we'll lay it over. So maybe 25 to 30% of the trunk is still intact. And that will regenerate growth and it'll be tender growth. And as the winter hits, um, as we all know, whitetails are really browsers. They don't sit there and gorge themselves like us. If we go to Golden Corral, we'll sit around the trough and we just gorge ourselves. That's not the case in whitetail space. They actually move through their, their terrain and eat a lot of different stuff. And woody browse is a major part of that. And in the wintertime, you will see them hit those woody browse uh, more more than you will any other time of year. And if you don't have that, they will find it somewhere else. And so when we focused on that, the warm season grasses gave them the cover away from the wind and, and the bad weather uh, and gave them food sources year round. Uh, it, it just, it was amazing to see uh, how much the farm had basically transformed itself to the point that we, we never saw pheasants and quail when I bought it. Now I hear uh, pheasants chucking all the time because of the warm season grasses and giving them more cover. And so once you start fixing that stuff, you'll be amazed of the wildlife that will stick around. So do and, you have like a proportion of, of okay, I have thousand acres or I have a hundred acres. I need X amount of this, X amount of Y, um, X amount of Z, I need so much woody browse. Do you yeah, have, do a, you have formula? a formula? Well, it's not that simple. And the reason why I say that is because it's the, it depends on access, um, which we can get into, which dominoes into this, which is you can't create bedding in a spot where you know you're going to have to go from point A to point B to get to your, your setup, whatever, wherever you're going to hunt. So um, we use a lot of warm season grasses to uh, block our access points. So they may hear us, but they're never going to smell us and never going to see us. And that is one thing that I guess I could preach is we, we, we hunt deer a lot, but our goal is not to not to allow the deer to, not for the deer to feel that they're being hunted. 
I don't know if that makes sense what yes. I just said. Yeah. So our goal is to get in and get out without little pressure. Benign um, pressure. Without any pressure. That's right. We have sanctuaries that we will not go into until uh, basically mid-March when it's shed season, and we'll hit it hard for a couple of weeks, and then we're out. We're not going to go in there anymore. Um, and we try to uh, – feed the deer forward which is once in a while we'll go into the timber like we did on major league because he wouldn't come out um and we had to dive in on him to obviously harvest them but more often than not we try to let the deer be deer and let them move how they want to move and we just educate ourselves through uh trail, trail cameras glassing from afar watching deer movement and try to feed the deer forward so that they feel comfortable and if you I guess allow less pressure, hunt more, kill more, you will kill more. Meaning if you want to hunt a lot, I understand it. But the more you hunt, the more scent you lay down, the more scent you lay down, the more pressure they feel, the more pressure they feel, the less daylight they're going to be. And so we want them to feel no pressure. And that's why it's so important our access that we're going to get in and get out with them, not knowing that we're there and allows them to be deer and allow them to be uh, walking daylight more often. If they walk more daylight, then that gives us more light to, to obviously harvest them. So it takes years for this to kind of kind of curve, but the more you do it and the less you hunt, and when you go in to, to harvest them, the more effective you will be. Prime example, um, uh, extra innings we killed on the first, first set. Um, our 194 we killed on the first sit and triple play we killed on our first sit. And that is all based around homework and watching and understanding the traffic of our deer and obviously uh, knowing the farm the way we do. And trail um, cameras. So you have trail cameras set up that I suspect they uh, you have the cell phone models that um, we have. So we have to stay about, out of there. Yeah, we have probably 25 percent, maybe 20 percent are cells. The rest are just static just because they're so expensive. Right. Um but we watch from afar, right? Because you can't have 8 million trail cameras over right. a field. You maybe have one or two. So you, you, may, you may or may not be getting them. But that doesn't mean you can't go sit from a hill or somewhere far away and glass with a spotting scope or binocs and sit there two or three evenings and, and find his pattern. And on the uh, triple play situation, we, we figured them out. And we had to walk, oh, at least a half mile crick uh, into get into our set because where he was, was dead, dead middle of our farm. And we had to get real creative of how we were going to get from point A to point B. And so I think that's another thing we could talk about is you've got to get creative sometimes to kill these mature deer, because once they, once they move, um, in this particular case, he was eating beans and it was obviously into September and we had a massive cold front coming. And I was like, Hey guys, you know what? We're, we're only going to have one chance here on where he's at. And once these beans go brown, which they're in that, that middle phase of going from green to brown, um, he's going to move to another side of the farm or move off the farm. So we got a window of opportunity that we have to capitalize. And, and you have to sort that out as a hunter of when you want to push the gas and when you want to hold. And we knew where he was. We had him nailed down. We had a cold front coming. Yes, we had to get creative and walk a, a creek a half mile. Uh, but I'm like, if we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? And, and so, uh, yes, it panned out and we were lucky, but I think it comes back to, you know, uh, separations in, in the preparation and the more homework you do and the more you understand, the more bullet points and data points you stack up, the more it will give you the educated information to go, you know what, we've got a lot of bullet points in our favor. Let's just go do this. And the more you understand that stuff, the more you're going to feel comfortable about making that decision. Something I heard you say that makes me, uh, smile is that uh um i bought a farm 17 to 18 years ago so people now go oh yeah 18 to 2022 you know you got a four or five year run here where you're just killing big stuff you know overnight success yeah overnight success 18 years in the making so um because you said you acquired this 17 to 18 years ago and right. have been building it ever since Correct. so it, it's interesting because I, I see that in business. I see that with what we do too. People are like, oh man, you know, it took you guys a little while. You've been around a while. Um, 
you know, with our hunt catalog, for example. Well, <laughs> stamina. It, it's stamina. It's an overnight success now with 1,100 hunts and 500 outfitters on it that are all vetted, but that didn't come overnight. But it looks really good for somebody who turns the switch on and looks at it overnight. <laughs> That's very and, true. And and that's that's you know that's what I'm hearing you say cuz I'm looking, you know, I have the privilege I'm going to send these pictures to you guys while we're sitting here. Um I have the privilege of sitting here looking at these deer and I'm just going, "My gosh, you know." And I know not all of them were killed on that farm, but all of them were killed somewhere where that type of application has been happening. And 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 you went in there and were able to understand deer well enough from what you do on your farm and to, I guess, transcend that past the farm and to, to build your success with. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely 100% accurate what you're saying. It's, yeah, people say, well, man, you came out of nowhere. And I said, well, I've been working at this for almost 20 years. You know? I came so, out of nowhere 20 years ago, though. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it's funny. The other thing you said is your biggest deer, usually you get them on the first night. The first night that you go in and molest the stand so much. I mean, that's when you drop your scent, you know, you go in and you make some noise, climb up. That's when you want to get it done, though, because it gets harder every time, it seems like, after that. Yeah, I mean, anytime you're chasing, and this is mule deer, this is anything wild, right? Which is anytime you start chasing mature whitetails, they don't get big because they're stupid. They get big because they've been around the block and they make good, good choices. And that's why it's so important that when you go into these sets, the first one usually is your highest percentage. And you want to stack all your, you know, opportunities the best you can, which is, you know, uh, a shift in a cold front, a drop in temp. Um, you know, there's a million things that we, you know, high pressure. There's a lot of things that we, we, we look at um, and try to stack those in your favor before you go laying down your scent and giving them the education. I mean, there, there's times where we will sit in our set and we will not leave for an hour or hour and a half um past dark because there's too much deer in front of us or we're we're second guessing our our exit because some of these deer that we're chasing are, are downwind it's it's i know it sounds ridiculous and i don't disagree with that but if you want to do unordinary things you have to do unordinary practices <laughs> that, that makes me laugh because as a kid i was always told stay a half an hour 40 minutes after dark and there would be nights i would sit there as a 14 or 15 year old in in the woods in iowa going okay i i don't know for sure when dark is because your eyes adjust and oh, then sure. and then one one time i got home and i never forget my mom said listen it's been dark for two hours <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, well, I don't know. There's so much ambiguity to that statement. I can still see my pin, mom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and there was still deer around me. And I used to think to myself, okay, if I wait late enough, they'll never connect me as a real human that was hunting him from this tree. I just, you know, maybe they won't get as scared. So you start doing freaky things like baseball players not changing their socks, yada yada yada. Um, but all that stuff adds up to that edge on your knife to get things done, right? It's, it's, it does. It's funny. And I, and I think cool. the other thing, too, it gives you confidence that you are you believe in yourself because you're doing all these other things, and it builds your confidence in your own skill sets. And sometimes confidence is everything in the sport. As we all know, bow hunting is not simple, and a lot of it's <laughs> mental. It's not physical. 100%. Even even on physical hunts, even sheep hunting, which I've been blessed to do a lot of uh, the last five to seven years, it's it's more mental than it is physical. When we were doing our show, we would have a hunt in Nebraska, and I, and I would say that was oftentimes the most demanding hunt, but you were sitting in a blind all day. But it was those were tough days. And we killed some big deer <laughs> yeah. there when others weren't because we were willing to bite it and gut it out and literally go pee in a cup and stay in the thing. And it was like, are you kidding me? And then one, I remember the last year I was there, I'm like, what am I, seriously, what am I doing? You know what I'm saying? I'm acting like I was. But you're right. I, I totally understand. So here's a question for you. Killing a 230-inch deer with a white, 230-inch uh, white tail uh, on a farm from a tree stand or spot and stalking a 195-inch uh, mule deer on the prairie, both with archery, which one's harder? Oh, it's hands down a mule deer. Spot and stalk, hands down. <laughs> and boom. why? What's that? I said boom. Yep. Exactly uh, what I was going to say. Well, because, you know, um, whitetail 
in the whitetail space, well, and I speak this from, from my experience, whitetail space, I, I know the homework. I know what they're doing. I, I, I usually try to stack the odds in our favor based on history, knowledge, trail pictures, all those type of things. But when you're in a spot and stock situation, it's, it's a one of one. It's the first time you've seen it. You're probably in new terrain. You don't have the, the data and the history of, of, of this. And you got to make split this split second decisions on, are we going left in this draw? Are we going right in this draw? Do we need to belly crawl here? What, what are we going to do? And it is such a chess match just to get in the position to potentially have a shot is what fascinates me. And it's what I love most is uh, mule deer and elk spot and stock on the feet, on the go. I just, I can't get enough of it. Hey, did um, I tell you I drew an elk tag in H1 here in South Dakota? Did I tell you that? I just wanted you did. to tell you. Well, you, you, did. Know what, you know what I was thinking about when, when Greg was talking about your first chance getting in there as your best chance? Yeah, that's what so we're So last have. year we chased a big bull. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking he was a 330 to 350 bull. But he lived in the same, same spot. But, but it was so thick that we couldn't get in and, and see him, you know. And, and we'd, Dave would set up in front, and I'd be back 50, 75 yards, Cal Collin. And, and we couldn't get him. We got one shot opportunity at him, but we kept going in and in. And he never left because we didn't bust him out of there. But at, at some point later in the season, it was like, okay, this guy's smarter than we are. But he's going to be in the same exact spot, and we're going to go in there after Labor Day, <laughs> and we're going to try to get Brian on him. But but I think it's going to have to happen fast. Just get him within 20 yards broadside and give me like a minute and a half to compose myself to make the shot. I'll get that shit done. It's crazy how thick of stuff that, that big old, a big old bull can live in and, and stay out of sight. Hey, another thing that you talked about, um, my buddy Scott Palmer in Kansas, they always talked about burning their fields. Uh, y- nobody burns anything out here. You don't light a match to anything yeah. in the mountains, right? So how much, how often do you, do you try to turn your whole place over every 10 years or what through? No, through burning? no what Tell we do is, yeah, so what we do is we, we divide our farm into thirds. And so every third year, that spot will be burned. It gets burned and- every th- third year. Every third year, wow. we're burning a piece of the farm. So yeah. one third of it's getting burned. Then the next year, a different piece. You follow what I'm saying? Yep, 100%. So the reason why we do it that way is so that we don't ruin the cover and burn the whole dang farm and blow all the cover. Yeah, so right? you keep it. The fire isn't that hot. You keep the you keep we, it we, so we, it manages what you're trying well, to achieve. That's right. Because yeah. if not, we're going to start from ground zero every third year and that's a bad bad position to be right um so we break it in thirds so that two-thirds of the farm are left alone when we're doing one-third burn yeah so that was foreign to me I, obviously i understand why it's so important but we just we can't do it out here yeah no the yeah, government would uh, not be happy with <laughs> oh my it. Gosh. Yeah. but, but uh, i've always said like the black hills you know there's a yellow what was it yellow gold yellow hair yellow or what's that book uh there's a book that yellow goes hair. Uh, yeah, it's when uh, Custer came through and he had his, he had his uh, photographer with him, and they went, they went through and what, yeah, and there was hardly 80, any trees compared to now. Hardly any trees. There was hardly any cover, and now you can't, you can barely even tell the difference uh, of where it's at because it's so grown up. And I've always argued that you know, like the Black Hills, basically needs a fire. A chunk of it needs to burn every ten years, so so that. It cleans it up because right now, like you said yesterday, Brian, your your uh, your conifers are the dirtiest tree. They don't have the leaves. They don't. But but they, and they lay down so much acidic mess yeah. that it just stops all the vegetation. And so, but I will tell you this: growing up in Iowa, I don't know what it's like now, but we had to have a permit. But we we burnt our pastures. We would always we burnt fifty percent one year, and then the other fifty percent the next so every year. Every other year. Every other year, we did the pastures because um just because of what they would do and then our uh our uh, um cover belts we would burn ev- like every third year and it really would flush out all the birds and stuff and then just burn it up and it made all the difference in the world you know what i'm saying because it just get green and dense and big and um and and it helped you control the canadian thistles better too because they can take over everything back there but yeah. um so he, i have a question for you greg <clears throat> Favorite one. Okay, you've killed some giants. Favorite one, brother. 
Uh, I'm gonna throw you for a real, real curveball here. Uh, it's my son's first year. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and and, um, and I'll tell you why. Um, he was nine, and it was his first time uh, in Missouri, and we had hunted hard. And it was uh, I'm gonna shoot at the hip. It's been so long ago. It was ten years ago. Um, I think it was 100, 110, 120 inch deer, and it's it i was being a dad but i also filming the whole thing for jury outdoors and he came out and i was more worried about him scoping himself and getting on the deer and i'm trying to be a dad and trying to film and trying to run three different camera angles all at the same time and stressed about make sure gun safety is good and everything's going to be okay and uh the deer comes out and he's like dad you ready i'm like, yep yep well i i hit record keyword I thought I hit record, which <laughs> I did. This is um, a red light on. <laughs> that's right. And then um, that particular camera usually took about a half a second to a second to engage. Um, I was so impatient that I hit it again. And so he shot. And then uh, oh, it I doesn't require it doesn't record twice as good that way, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> and so. I must have been had a oh crap look on my face because he looked at me and he said, what's wrong? And that's when I realized that I double punched record button. We had everything but the impact shot, everything. Ouch. Wow. And, and he looked at me and it's still the best lesson of my hunting career. He looked at me and he says, dad, I really don't care. Let's go find him. That's cool. And, yeah. and when it boils all down, the size of the deer really doesn't matter. It truly boils down to the memories that you create with the individuals you're doing it with. And so that was an archery deer? Did he shoot his no, first that was a, that, No, that, that was, was a, a gun. shotgun a or gun. something in Iowa. He has a rifle. Yeah. A rifle, oh, yeah, in Missouri. Does he enjoy hunting deer today, Greg? He does. Um, he's very busy. He, he enjoys it. He came down uh, this past fall. His schedule's so tight because of college and um, other stuff he does do some um, I think he's just a little pressed um, with school and getting good grades that um, he came down when COVID happened because it got shut down he spent a, a good week and he he is he is age over score he's been around me a long tough long time that you know uh, age is number one and now I'm like Derek you haven't shot that many deer you can still whack and stack what you want he goes nah and he lets way way too many go but wow he's got brad dana disease let's 400 inch elk walk by at 35 yards in the morning oh they're not that big it just depends on the mood sometimes i'm rather quick on the trigger yeah Yeah, well no you're always quick on the trigger once made once said decisions made (laughs) um so anyway (laughs) that's cool well my uh two of my two youngest kids shot their first bucks last year and that's that's a cool memory my my uh Mason, who's my my second, he took up hunting late, and uh, he was super jacked. Brian was with us, and Brian was kind of coaching, and I was filming, and uh, that was cool. Uh, he had some choice words when he he jumped up and he said a couple of things. <laughs> he, he forgot explaining, his, he explaining forgot his, how excited he, he was. He forgot his dad was <laughs> behind him, and because I coached him through the stalk the last 75 80 yards and got him up on it and and mason one is a typical 17 year old okay he's got more brawn and balls than brains right and so two okay he uh um he uh has glasses that are significantly thicker than the bottom of a coke bottle (laughs) and um and so i you know, I'm not his dad, but I'm coaching him through it, and we set the shot up, and and I'm like, do you see him? And so in my mind, I'm skeptical if he really sees what he says he sees. Yeah, because we've done so many shooting schools. Yes, <laughs> and right, and so so I question every time somebody says they see it, and then they shoot the target at 300 instead of 600, you know, and uh, I'm like, okay, so you sure? And I explain to him what the deer looks like. He says, he, he goes, he goes, Brian? I have the crosshairs right behind his shoulder. It just with this calm level, I got this shit. And I go, squeeze lightly and give it to him. Boom. And he watched the bullet. And how I know he for sure could see it, he goes, did you see that? 
take that bullet. <laughs> and I go, I did. And he, I, he goes, I'm on safety. And I go, the, I go, the bullet's dead. And he looks at me, and he gives me this hug, and he goes, we killed that <laughs> and uh, he was so excited, he lost his mind. And it was one of the greatest moments I've ever had in the field. Yeah, was super and, fun. And, and I go, and then he looks back at his dad, and he's like, oh, sorry, Dad, sorry, Dad. <laughs> My, he, was all, he was all of a sudden real, real respectful that, so that his classy. father was there and heard him lose his mind. Because at the moment we killed that deer, I wasn't 52-year-old dad's friend. I was his buddy. You, you were, that I was his bud. Bro, I was his buddy that crawled up on a deer and we got it dead. And that sucker was 30 miles from the nearest road, and two miles from the buggy. And there was no way to get the buggy closer, so we had well, to go. The whole thing was a cool, cool experience yeah. that we don't. You know, we did an necropsy <laughs> on the deer, and you know, I always like to look at the bullet carnage, and and uh, we showed him, you know, the, all the rumina and talked about. It, it was super cool. Wow. Yeah. He's and awesome. then my daughter, she shot her first buck last year and she's laying on the gun and she's like dad i don't know if i can hit it my heart's beating so hard <laughs> and she's just like i'm bouncing around i'm like bailey just take a couple deep breaths are you better yep okay squeeze the trigger boom you know it's just those kid memories are unbelievable i watched my oldest he he had nostalgia he inherited a 32 special which is like a 30 30 are you familiar with the 32 special? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. So he wanted to shoot this with his great-grandpa's gun. Open sights. And I'm like, I can put a scope on that. Nope. I'm going to do it just like Grandpa did. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Our great-grandpa. So we did that. And I watched him eject five bullets into the ground without ever squeezing the trigger a couple of times. <laughs> he, got, he gets so excited and nervous. Oh, man. He just, oh, it just looked like he was the Duke on Bo on his horse, you know, just here go all the bullets. And he's like, he looked at me, he goes, did I hit it? And I go, you didn't fire. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Greg, uh, I guess um, it, it's, been, it's been a fun and uh, – fast nine or ten months we met in iowa at the whitetail classic through a friend of ours uh brian weiss yeah for sure isn't yeah, that crazy you know, it's, it's you know people always say how, how do you how do you get involved in the outdoor space and i just say you know work hard create your own opportunity but network is a very powerful thing and never over never underestimate or overlook it and without brian weiss connecting the two of us i wouldn't be sitting here this afternoon that's a hundred percent fact um, and we were, uh, Brian was kind enough to introduce it to Iowa Deer Classic and a five minute discussion, I think turned out in about two hours and 20 minutes of conversation that we couldn't, you know, get away from each other. We found more and more stuff in common and, you know, a, a mutual friendship was struck up in the first 15 minutes. So, um, it's, it's crazy where this has taken us, Brian, but, uh, it's been a fun ride so far and the future looks even more fun. Yeah, I'm I'm so looking forward to it, and uh, we're excited. We're excited for the partnership. Um, just so everybody knows, you're going to be hearing a lot more from Greg. Um, we're going to be working with Greg. He's going to be a consultant with us, um, working on lots of different areas, um, and uh, we're going to work with him. And uh, again, the outdoor space. Uh, our audience. We always say uh, we live in that buying belt. We are never trying to be the company. Um, that's the, the Wasatch the, Range Yeah, the company. Wasatch Range Company. You know what I'm saying? I'll leave it at that. And, and not that those are bad companies, um, but we want to be that company that was for the guy from, uh, you know, uh, um, I guess uh, Minnesota to Texas, Texas to Florida, Florida to Maine, and all those people that didn't know how to come out west, didn't know where to go hunting, what to do, how to get points, how to get applications. And you were attracted to that. Oh, I, I mean, and I think that's – I think that's the thing that attracted to me most after the first five or 10 minutes of the conversation is I realized you guys were truly different in, in your space. And I've done other organizations like yours, um, but the way you run it and handle it was completely different. It, it was a new approach that I thought was fresh and different and, and very people driven instead of just a number on a page. And that's what I really liked most because in the other organizations, I felt like you know, I was just kind of a number and 
yes, they did help me. And yes, um, you know, I, I enjoyed that um, and what they did, but this is way different and the results are way different. And um, it's more about a community of like-minded people trying to help each other achieve their outdoor space goals. And that's what I really liked most about Rolling Bones. Well, we appreciate that, and and as and as I've said, we are so excited to get to work with you, and uh, um, and see where our future goes. Uh, I guess we're uh, starting to have our overnight success too, and uh, after ten years, like you have, and it's 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 fun, and I think that. Uh, it's uh, uh, fortuitous that we got together at this moment in both of our careers in the outdoor space, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I know we, we feel the same, and we have the same values, and we, we sincerely are attracted to all those values you have and share. And I love to hear that your favorite deer was with your son, and, and, and it couldn't have wrapped it up better hearing your stories, Brad, and everywhere we're going. Well, we are going to definitely have Greg on again, not a question. We'll get more in the weeds on this. We'll talk a lot more about it. He has a lot more information. He's done a, a, a he's been out west hunting all over with his bow. Um, we really want to get into the western archery hunting space, even though that's where I cut my teeth on the western hunting. Yep. But Greg's done it. Um, Brad grew up doing it. Um, but we wanted somebody from the Midwest that knew that, that knows it, that loves it, that uh, wants to be a part of it. And uh, um, this is this is our guy, and we're excited about that and to make that announcement. And you'll see more on Greg as we go. I will post all these pictures of these deer he was talking about, a.k.a. AKA on social media or have them posted um, here this next week when, when this um, comes out, okay? And uh, we'll make a big announcement of it. But we sure appreciate everybody listening today. Here's a quick reminder. Subscribe to Hunt the World wherever you get your podcast. You'll find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many other locations. Leave us an honest rating and review, which will help others find our podcast. Tell us what you're looking for. If you like something, if you want to hear something else from Greg, if you go, oh, man, I'd love to get more in the weeds on that. I'd love to hear more about that. I'd love to hear more about that. Let us know. This is our job to bring you service, access, value, and education. And remember, we want to help you own your own hunting plan. Hunting expedition layaway, help. Uh, pay for your next trip a little bit at a time. We have it. We are launching it. We, ha uh, we have the software in, and we'll talk about this in the next podcast or two. If you go into our software and you go do a hunt plan and click on the find the hunt you like, compare them, say it's a bear hunt, click on the bear hunt, go down, click on purchase, go in there, say I want to put $1,000 down, it'll calculate your what your payment is if you put your hunt date in there. You want to do $2,000 down, you want to do $500 down, it will help prompt you to what you can. You can pick a payment, pick your hunt date, and go hunting. That's our uniqueness along with many others we want to help you own your own outdoor experiences your way and customize it for you so from all of us at rolling bones stay safe be healthy and happy hunting